Amen. Come on, let's thank our worship team today. Thank you so much for all your commitment to us. We appreciate you, all our volunteers today. Thank you so much for helping help touch people's lives today. Please be seated. Well, it's our privilege here today to welcome our General Superintendent of Elam Movement, Chris Cartwright, and also to welcome his wife, Annie. Thank you so much for joining us. Let us give him a big Northampton welcome. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Welcome Chris today. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Chris. Bless you. Bless you, buddy. Thank you so much. It is so wonderful for Annie and I to be here in Northampton, Elam this morning and in this fantastic venue, the Savoy Theatre, that you guys uh, now on a Sunday are meeting together in to worship Jesus. How many of you know and recognise that we are living in extraordinary times? Uh, Kind of getting our head around it even. And this morning what I want to do just for a moment in my introductory remarks is just to say that this is a time for every follower of Jesus for a really profound reset. Not just around our calendars and our schedules, not just around our commitments to going to church and doing life together in Jesus' name, far deeper than that. It's a reset in our relationship with Jesus that we have the opportunity for And to move from that point, every local church, every church leader, every pastor, every evangelist, every Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, this is reset time for the people of God around the world. And the church has been in moments like this before. Even just in the UK context, looking out, we've seen over recent years all the tangle over Brexit. I'm not going to go there today, okay? We've seen the impact of a global pandemic affect not just those far away, but the closest, the nearest and the dearest. And now we're watching with almost unbelieving eyes as a a war breaks out in, in Europe, in Ukraine. We've already prayed for the nation of Ukraine. And whilst we're still reeling and catching up with the impact of that and the the possibilities, the consequences, the the what next, I want to say to you that it is really important for us as the people of God that we know that God is not surprised by the events of our world. He's still Lord today, whether you're watching here in the building and listening and responding here or at home or catching up online at some future point, I want to say God is still in control. Jesus is still Lord. We've been worshipping already a, a, a loving God who is not distant, but draws near in times of challenge and times of trouble. I want to just for a moment give you three headlines on this one. In Matthew 24, Jesus is not yet at the cross, but he's told his followers that he is going to die. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him uh, raise the dead. When he's there physically with them, all things are okay. But he's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to fulfill the prophecies that have been long waiting. And I'm going to do this as a saviour for the whole world. And they couldn't take it in. In fact, they ask him questions like, Lord, tell us about the future. 
In Matthew 24, you can maybe check it over this week, over a coffee or a, you know, just a moment to yourself and open it up. They say, Lord, what's going to happen? Tell us about the dates and the times. He says this, it's not for me to tell you the dates and the times, but let me tell you this, tough times are going to come. Wow. He said, don't be alarmed, don't be surprised. I'm telling you in advance. In future times, tough times will come. They'll come to all people, even the church, even my people, Jesus says. How many of you know that tough times happen to Christians too? We're not immune from the things that happen, are we? But rather, it's how we go through tough times that Jesus wants to instill in us a new faith, a new rootedness in Him. So I want to say, Jesus said, don't be surprised, don't be caught out, don't be alarmed, tough times will come. When they come, he begins to speak into that, that I am with you in tough times, says the Lord. There's two more things that he says in Matthew 24, as they were expecting him maybe at that time to be a political deliverer. Uh, maybe uh, to, to overthrow the government and set up his kingdom uh, uh, over the occupying forces of the Roman army then that were in that land. But no, he had not come to be a political or a military leader. He'd come to be the saviour of the world and to bring a new kingdom that until he comes again would keep advancing. So he said this, tough times will come. People will say, Come this way, come that way. Wars and rumours of wars and famines and earthquakes will come. But do not be afraid. I am with you to the end of the age. The second thing he said was, tough times will come, but harvest time is all around you. In other words, Jesus wanted every follower, everybody that knows him, to know, to open their eyes to a different reality. That God is moving even in tough times. Even when it seems like it's not the season, it's always the season for God to be God. Somebody say amen this morning. It's always the season for God to be loving and faithful. And He is always good. Hey, I've loved the songs we've sung this morning that have brought us into a place of faith and of worship and of wonder. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Not just as a history lesson, but as a living reality. Jesus said it's harvest time. May not feel like it, may not seem like it to you, but all the time, God is reaching out to people. I want to tell you in the nation of Ukraine, over recent decades, they've had an extraordinary move of God. There has been a, 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 just a, a bursting forth of new churches. One of the very largest Pentecostal charismatic churches in Europe has been in Kiev, extraordinary church and it's not just the only one and, and whilst we think about all the dispersion and the scattering and the, the ripping apart of a nation physically and, 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 and it, it, we, we cannot forget that God has been moving in Ukraine and will go on moving in the Ukrainian people as some of them are scattered and moved around what could God do in this season what could Jesus do we know that God is not surprised that tough times will come and that he is not overruled by the powers of this earth. 
And so I want you to pray for harvest in this shaking, tough time. The third thing Jesus said, not just tough times, harvest time, but he said it was also, this is the time of the Spirit. In Matthew 24, he said, don't be afraid. Tough times will come. I'm with you. Don't be surprised, but it's also harvest time. And guys, in just a while, he said, I'm going to send you my Spirit. And when he comes... He will be with you always. He will be physically with you. He will be living in you and pouring out of you. So I want to say this morning, in tough times, as we're almost unbelieving what we're seeing and hearing, the people who follow Christ are urged by him and invited by him to root themselves in him. And to begin to live out without fear, without panic, without being pulled here and there by other philosophies, ideologies, causes and claims, but to stick with him. It's a good time to say amen right there. I want to come to the word of God this morning. I love the series that you're in. Just spent a bit of time this past week. Uh, checking out uh, last week's message and, 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 and uh, just beginning to understand where you are as a church, coming at a time like this to a theme, faithful God. And I want to read some verses. In the book of Hebrews, there are three chapters that sandwich, uh, in a way, this extraordinary chapter 11, which is called the, the chapter of faith. And I'm going to read out of chapter 10, chapter 10 of Hebrews, just a passage in there. And then I want to talk to you about one man in just the briefest of time that we have with us today called Abraham, who was a man of faith. More than that, he was a father of faith. This is what Hebrews 10 and verse 19 says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's good after the last two years, isn't it? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's an extraordinary summary. In in a way, those few verses that I've just read, I've, I've marked them in my Bible. I've kind of every phrase just put a little marker in there and spent some time recently thinking over each of those. Let us draw near. That's what we were doing in worship right now. Even though we're in a big room, every one of us, as we sang of the faithfulness and the goodness of God, had an opportunity to draw near. Guys, this week in 
challenge, in, 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 sometimes in trouble as well as in triumph, there's an opportunity at God's request to draw near. To do that in the hustle and bustle inside. Our hearts are going, Lord, am I allowed to come before you? I know me. I know how unqualified I am. But God says, draw near in faith, in simple faith, that there's an invitation for us. There's this also this remarkable sense in this short passage that not only drawing near in moments, but sticking with him through the seasons, the years, and the decades of life. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 are actually not just about the faith of believing, but the faith of living it out over the real stuff. How many of you know that God still comes to real people in real places? It's not just times past. If you're real today, just give yourself a pinch and check. There's real flesh and blood in the room, at home, wherever you are right now. Real people in real places. It's so important we get this. God comes to real people in real places, in real times and circumstances, in real life situations. And what we call faith has to be activated in the real world. It has to be more than just a theory for us today, guys. It has to be more than just somebody else's story. And I want you to see with me for a moment or two that God is coming to a people of faith right now in our time and season for the long-term life of faith to be fruitful, to be effective, for you to live out a new relationship with him. Yesterday, Annie and I had a day in London. We used to live there years ago, too many years ago to confess today. But we had a tourism day. We just kind of stayed in uh, just near the British Museum and, and I booked us tickets, free tickets, but to get into the museum for a couple of hours. We wandered around as though we were tourists. Well, I guess we were now. We live in Cardiff, Wales, so I guess we're, we're outsiders now in, in, in London. But you know, it was just incredible, this amazing museum. Whether you're a museum fan or not, let me just tell you, they've got stuff in there you would not believe. And just for a few hours, we had a glimpse, just a taster of some of the stuff from history. Now, there are all kinds of issues about that, the right and the wrongs of, of, of collecting it in those places. But much of that had been preserved for hundreds of years. We walked through the Egyptian galleries and saw extraordinary treasures from ancient Egypt. We walked through the Assyrian galleries we walked through uh, the, the, the galleries showing the splendor of the ancient Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. And I want to tell you this. I, I, it was triggering in my mind as we went round and we saw these kingdoms from a past time. I want to say this. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And kingdom, history moments on a, a, a board explaining the artifact in the museum. 
the great Greek empire that was, the great Assyrian empire that was, the great Babylonian empire that was, the great Egyptian empire that was. And going through that gallery just yesterday, I'm reminded, although there's plenty of evidence of of the Bible story in the British Museum, because those real people testified to the wonders and the works of God. But I wanted to tell you this this morning, that going through there, I was reminded kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but Jesus is Lord of all. There is a king of all kings. There is a kingdom of all kingdoms. Now, that's not just meant to be a triumphal moment in a message this morning. I want to say, I want us to be rooted in that right now. And as we go out from here, Faithful God series is drawing you to a place not just of having more information, but into a place of greater revelation that will release what I want to say, the most important thing, new relationship with God. In the midst of those galleries, there was reference to the culture of the ancient uh, nation, what we would now know as Iraq. Way, way back on one of the maps, we could see there on the wall a a place called Ur, you are, of the Chaldees, the Chaldean area. And in Genesis 12, we begin to hear about a man who is living with his family in Ur of the Chaldees. If we could look through the, the, the dim mists of history. No, better. If we could see right now on the screen with all the technology that we're familiar with, where on YouTube you can watch something unless it's been blocked by a foreign government, you could see things that have happened just moments ago around the world in great detail. If we could see Ur of the Chaldees back in those ancient times, it was the centre of civilization. It was a, a glistening city with, with beauty and, and civilization and culture. And, and even though their, their, their ways would be very alien to us, I guess, in the modern world, Ur of the Chaldees, looking out at a world and an empire from their great splendor. And there's a man by the name of Abram, A-B-R-A-M. That's how he starts. And out of nothing and nowhere... Something begins that is to change the course of history. We read in Genesis 12 this, that God speaks to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a pagan culture. It was an idolatrous culture. They worshipped all kinds of things. The the moon, the sun, they made up their own gods and and built statues and idols and worshipped them. But in the midst of that, God, the creator God, the maker of all things, spoke to this young guy called Abram. You can read it for yourself in Genesis 12. And he says this to Abraham. Sorry, to Abram. I'm running ahead of the story. He says to him in Genesis 12, Abram, I will bless you. I want you just for a moment to think about that. In a world of many gods, small g, the God reveals himself somehow, some way to a guy who hasn't been looking for him. And he says, I am going to bless you. 
Not only that, he calls him by name. It's extraordinary. In Genesis 12, that first calling, he says, I'll bless you and I'm going to make you, Abram, a great nation. He goes on to unfold that in the next few chapters. You can begin to see that God gets a hold of Abram's life and heart. And he says to him, I want you to leave this place and go to a place that you know not of where I will bless you and I will give you that land. It becomes called the promised land. So I want you to hear one guy who's lost in a world of gods and idol worship has a revelation from the real true God, breaks into his world. Why is that so important, Chris, this morning, you might ask me? I want to say this, God, the mighty God, you take a look at the names of God in the Old Testament, the names for Jesus in the New, and you begin to see there's so much mighty, holy, creator, all-knowing, all-powerful, that God comes and reveals himself to a simple, ordinary man called Abram, calls him by name and says, I'm going to bless you. He goes a little bit further over the next part of their journeying together. Genesis 15, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, a promise to give him a land and an inheritance. In Genesis 17, he calls him the father of a multitude of nations. My simple point is this, faithfulness. The faithfulness of God is rooted in this. He reveals himself to ordinary people. The faithfulness of God is rooted in this. He reveals himself not just for a moment, but he comes in relationship. Somebody say amen. In other words, God wants relationship with you and me. You say, wait a moment, Chris. I can believe it. I can read it for Abraham. But what about me? I'm not Abraham. I'm not this great Bible giant. I want you to see for a moment that it begins with Abraham. But it's what now through Jesus, he does to every one of us. He calls us to live in relationship with him. If you walk through the, the, the galleries of the British Museum or any other great museum of the world, and you look at those histories and you look at those stories of other gods and other ways, it can seem almost baffling, more than sobering, to think about how men and women, human beings, have tried to respond to the vastness of life, the big questions and yet, again and again, they have sought to express more than just the physical, something of worship, something of hope, something of, of a future that's beyond them, something of an eternal life, not just this life. And in the midst of that, with all the confusion and chaos that Abraham's world was reflecting to him, God begins to write a new story. And he says this, I'm stepping in. I'm revealing myself to you. And from this moment, Abraham, I want you to be a father of a nation. But not just the nation Israel. That's not the end of the story. 
I want you to be a father of a nation that will become a light to the rest of the nations. And speaking into the future, Abraham's story is of a man that began a relationship with God. You can read it for yourself in Genesis 12 onwards. It's not always a pretty story. It's not always that he gets things right. There are some bumps along the way. But Abraham's life is like the first father of faith. That's why he's called it. The first man of faith. Beginning to live out what it is to be a person of faith. Not just information, not just teaching and doctrine, but living in relationship with God. This is the most extraordinary message that we can have for the world. That being a Christian is a, about more than just an ideology or a belief system or a, fit, a, a new way to spend Sundays. It's more than a club. It's more than just a kind of a, a community. It's actually about a life that is different because you are in relationship with your God. Amazing, he says, of Abraham and then of others linked to him. I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Moses. God begins from that moment on, not just to call them to draw near to him, but to speak out that he's a God who's in relationship with real people. Wow. If you ever wanted to be around some really famous people, Maybe, maybe you don't confess it out loud, but you know, maybe you're at the concert and you look behind the, you know, these, these access restricted areas. You just wish you could get behind the scenes and hang out with them a bit, see what they're really like. Maybe it's your hero. Maybe it's not music. Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's something else, some other factor or, or sphere of life, but you want to be around them. And I wonder if we can even imagine what that's like. Some people say, hey, don't get too close to your heroes. You, you'll be disappointed. I didn't say that. I'm just quoting it. But you're thinking about God and about Jesus. who not only says this is the way that you're to live, but hey, come with me. And let's do this together. You see, Jesus had the same habit that he caught from his father of naming people as his and building from relationship, not just information or religion. And so he gets alongside some disciples, the Sea of Galilee. And he begins to call them by name, fishermen, James and John and Peter and Andrew, two sets of brothers that were in the fishing business together. And he gets alongside some, some, some women like Mary and, and, and Martha and uh, another Mary and, and, and others that, that have real lives going through real stuff. But he calls them by name and he starts a life of faith through relationship. Now, faithful God speaking into this church in this season. He's saying, out of relationship, I am faithful. I'm good to my word. I'm a promise keeper, but also I'm a promise giver. 
So before you have the promise kept, you have to realise that He has promises for you. And He wants to reveal them into your life. You think, who am I? And the psalmist says, who am I? And, And yet that's the reality of being a people of faith. Those around us often think that church is really about religion. But we know that it's about relationship. Because religion will never save us. In a world of religions, God spoke to Abraham and says, Abraham, by name, I'm making a covenant with you. You come with me to a new adventure. I'm going to give you a land and a nation and, a, and generations. And if you ordinary guy will follow me, I will be faithful to you. So before we land this plane of a message in the next few minutes, let me take it one step further. That word covenant is so critical to the faithfulness of God. It's not a word that is perhaps particularly used by us in everyday life. It's more than a contract. A covenant is a binding agreement. Ancient civilizations will have had covenants that were not just sealed with ink or written on a tablet, but they would be sealed with blood, a blood covenant. You will know that in some gang cultures, some of that stuff will still happen. In some cultural settings, that will still happen. But covenant is probably best expressed in our experience by a marriage service, which is all about relationship. It's not the paper at the end of the the wedding service that really counts. It's the The things that those two people are saying to one another, words that actually are beautiful in our historic kind of wedding vows, uh, beautiful words. But, you know, in fact, I've had the privilege of doing many weddings. I believe that uh, there may be somebody here this morning that I married years ago, uh, took the service for them. And I want to say this, being up close, I get to hear these amazing words. Do you take one another to be. And then they give those vows. I, I, I do. I take you to be my husband, wife, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, until we're parted by death. I've been close enough to know that many couples, when they're saying those words, Really inside, they're they're saying it like this. In sickness and in health. For richer, for poorer. Other way around. For richer, for poorer. Those are not judged at the moment of the marriage service. They're an expression of commitments that two people will make to one another that are tested by time. So here's what I want to come to in my closing of this message. First of all, faithfulness is rooted in relationship. God takes the initiative. He comes to us. Jesus took the initiative. He comes to you and he says, I'm going to have a relationship with you. In fact, the story of the Bible through the Old Testament and into the end of of the book of Revelation is really a story about relationship. A God who reveals himself that wants relationship with us. And we are faithless, but he is faithful. We are unfaithful, he is faithful. And as we see the various seasons, as the people get comfortable 
and run from him or turn from him or begin to forget him again and again. As the Psalms begin to cry out, hey, Lord, when I forget you, thank you for not forgetting me. His faithfulness is tested over time and circumstances. That's why what I read as a starting point wasn't right from the center of the story of Abraham, but from this amazing Hebrews 10 to 12, this kind of culmination of a message of faith. Before we have Hebrews 11, the gallery of faith, all those that have lived by faith. And then we have Hebrews 12, this encouragement to run the race of faith, looking unto Jesus up close. He's with us. He's your pacemaker every day, running on your side, drawing you forward. We have that invitation. Draw near. Live knowing that he who calls you is faithful. In other words, he's going to come through on his promises. As I come to a moment of closing prayer, I want to touch base with you for a moment. This comes from the heart of God. Today, when others around us may not know God that way, we have the opportunity to show that God is not just about information or religion. Jesus is not just about a, a, a nice habit to, or a well-being kind of self-help um, uh, uh, package to add to your life. Jesus comes in relationship looking for others to follow him and live with him. And he's committed to that relationship for the rest of our days. So I want to say, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Abraham, an ordinary man, in a time of spiritual chaos and confusion, God speaks in to him and says, I'm your God, come with me and I'm going to establish a covenant that is unbreakable with you. And if you follow me for the rest of your days and into the generations ahead, I will be true to my word. I grew up in a Christian family. My, my mom was radically converted as a young 16-year-old dancer who was looking at the the lights of a glittering career and she got radically changed by Jesus. And years later, she would be a, a preacher. She would often speak in many settings and she would tell a story. I used to cringe as a young boy going with her and sitting on the front row and hearing an hour and a half of her life story. And yet actually now I look back and I see what she did. She told the story of the faithfulness of God in one woman's life and her family over generations. As trouble came, as hardship came, as tough times came, it was totally a testimony of faith tested by time. God is faithful and Jesus is faithful to you. And here's my prayer. Will you just open your heart for a moment? online right now, wherever you are, and here in the building. Today, I believe God wants you to relax and fall in Him and rest in Him because He's calling you by name. And for the rest of your days, the promises to you are yes and amen, the Bible says. That means He's got you. He's pursuing you all the days. You may say, I've been unfaithful. I've kind of broken my side of it. I, be, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really living up to that. And today, now's a moment when you can say, here I am, Lord Jesus. This is not about my faithlessness, but your faithfulness. 
and I surrender again. I, I, I come to you again. I'm drawing near again. Come and re-establish my relationship with you. So Father God, faithful God, all your promises are yes and amen. You're good and faithful, slow to anger and swift to bless. You pursue us like we've sung already with good things. Build us into a people who are faithful in relationship. When we fall, you pick us up, but we draw on you today in Jesus' Name. We say, come Holy Spirit and release us to be a, a people who will see you in the land of the living, bring about deliverance, breakthrough, provision, blessing. And Lord, help us to reach out to those around us who may be confused right now, like, like Abraham was. Give them a revelation of you. This millennial generation, Gen Zs and younger, Lord, show yourself to them like you did to that young guy in a far off time. And we will give you praise. And all God's people said, Amen.